0: Good. Well, I just wanted to start off by, by saying uh, what a joy and privilege it's been to be the youth pastor here at Bellevue Baptist Church, um, you know, at a time of uncertainty in the world. Uh, Seems like ages ago, 2020 does, but uh, you all have welc- you welcomed Hannah and me so well, and then later on, Kinsey. Um, and I just wanted to thank you all for all your love and support. And uh, as I said in my letter, although I feel God calling me to serve, In a different way in this season of my life, uh, Bellevue Baptist Church will always have a special place in our hearts, and uh, I just want to thank you. uh, Thank you, all the students, all the parents, all the volunteers, the deacons, everybody who partnered along uh, in my ministry. I just, um, I could not have done it without you, um, and I've I've been blessed for it, so thank you. Um, So we will be looking at a Common parable, a very well known parable. Um, in fact, I think LD did a series on this way back in 2020 when he f- first was here. I don't remember when James here, remember? I don't know. It was some, some time back then. Um, Josh, is this is the projection on? I'm waiting for that, I guess. So we. Uh, It'll be Luke 15, if you want to open up. Ah, here it is. Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Put the fat... "'Bring the fattened calf and kill it. "'Let's have a feast and celebrate. "'For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. "'He was lost and is found.' "'So they began to celebrate. "'Meanwhile the older son was in the field. "'When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. "'So he called one of his servants and asked him "'what was going on. "'Your brother has come home,' he replied. "'And your father killed the fattened calf "'because he has brought him back safe and sound.' The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come ho- has come home, you killed the fattened calf for him, my son, the father said. You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for your word and the truth in it. I ask in this time That all distractions fade away that we are able to focus on that word and what it means to be part of your family what it means to be loved by you as children and i pray that in this time we can learn what it means to invite others into that joy-filled kingdom that is yours in jesus name so stubbornness can have messy consequences A classic example of this is uh, from one of my favorite TV shows, The Office. Regional Regional manager of Dunder Mifflin Scranton, Michael Scott, he is a dangerous combination of, of stubborn and gullible. And while he and Dwight, the assistant to the regional manager, are driving, Michael is hanging on every word of the GPS. And when the GPS tells him to Take a right. What does he do? Immediately, he starts taking a right. Well, Dwight knows what's going on. He's paying attention. Dwight's, you know, he's a lot of things, but he is smart. And so he says, "Wait, no, no, no. I think Michael. It says veer right up there. No, there's no road here." And they get, and Michael continues to drive. No, the GPS says go here. Dwight says, "No, no, no, no. That's the lake. The lake is right there." And they splash into the lake, having to escape through the windows to uh, <laughs> to survive. And so. You see, sometimes we think we know the best way forward, right? But sometimes we follow the wrong urges, the wrong instincts. And that reminds me of a time a little personal to me when I was at a mission trip in Louisa, Kentucky, in Eastern Kentucky, uh, during my sophomore year at Georgetown College. And we had just finished at the mission site, and they told us uh, to head back to the mission site, the mission center, and we'd regroup there. And they said, don't put it in your phone. Don't use a GPS. It's not going to do any good. And what do we do? Stubborn 20-year-olds, we're like, ah, we got this. We'll put it in our phone. We'll get there in no time. So we're driving. It's taking like 15, 20 minutes, and it was only like a 15-minute drive. So 20, 25 minutes, and we're like, wow. Nothing looks familiar, and it's taking longer. Maybe we're going the back way. And, uh, and so we think we see the mission center in the distance. We're like, oh, we just have to go over this hill, maybe another hill. It's right there. And what happens? We get stuck. There's a dead end. The road just stops halfway up the hill. And um, so, mind you, these are like Eastern Kentucky roads, like narrow, windy, not really easily able to turn around. And so, my friend Alex in the back right there, uh, he he has to back up. And so, there's a cliff on, or there's a steep steep incline going down a hill on the other side. And so he he. He backs up into the, into the hill, it's all muddy, and what happens, we get stuck. And so we have to like, we're like getting sticks and stuff, trying to get it under the tires, trying to get some traction, trying to push it out. Well, after like 15 or 20 minutes of that, we realized that's not going to work. And so we, we had to find some help. We had to, re, we had to uh, um, swallow our pride and our stubbornness, and, um, and we had to ask for help. And luckily, we found a close-by neighbor who had a, a pickup truck, and that pickup truck had a picture of Jesus on the back. So we asked them for help, and they were kind and gracious and were able to get us out. So, you know, pickup truck with Jesus uh, saved the day on that one, got the little Ford Ford Taurus out of there. Um, so stubbornness, all that to say, stubbornness doesn't always leave us stuck in the mud with no cell service in eastern Kentucky or driving into Lake Scranton. but like prodigal sons, our, our personal tendency to stubbornness can lead to bitterness in our lives. You know, both sons in the story, in the parable, they, they had a place to call home. And it's easy for us to see the waywardness of the younger son who leaves home completely, who squanders his father's wealth. But both brothers had unique dispositions that led them in need of reconciliation. So the first point I want us to look at today is seeking self-gratification leads to bitterness. But God always responds in steadfast love. Like I said, this parable is one of the most well-known out there. The younger brother is tired of waiting around, right? He wants to live life on his own terms. And what's getting in the way? His old, his old man, right? If if he just had his, his inheritance, he could just live life on his own terms with no responsibility, and he thinks he knows what he wants. He suffers from the the grass is greener syndrome. That, well, my life would just be better if I could do this, this, and this. Maybe we feel that way. If I I could just have this new job, this different house, this maybe you want new friends, whatever it may be, right? Having this perspective, though, that steals the joy of the present. The gift of the seemingly mundane of the everyday. But it's been said that you reap what you sow. You get out what you put in. The goes on. The younger brother, though, he knows deep down that what he's going to do, what he wants to do isn't right. So what does he do? He goes to a distant land, far away enough that he thinks, well, maybe the word won't get back to, to my pops or my family. How often are we like that? Do we mask our actions or try to hide? Or do we attempt to numb the brokenness and pain that we feel inside? Maybe we try to distract ourselves with a busy schedule and full calendars. Or maybe worse, maybe we try to constantly stimulate ourselves. Maybe we, we turn to substances. Maybe the pain will subside, and maybe for a time it does. Wendell Barry talks about the unfortunate reality many people do to mask pain, to not feel it. He says, <clears throat> people use drugs, legal and illegal, because their lives are intolerably painful or dull. They hate their work and find no rest in their leisure. They are estranged from their families and their neighbors. goes on to say, we need drugs apparently because we have lost each other. And losing connection with each other and God, that inevitably leads to bitterness. Once we feel the emptiness that is within loneliness, our habits can then become addictions and we, we, that we can use them as crutches. And the younger son had this itch for independence. But when understood in a healthy way, independence is good, right? It's living free of coercion, of manipulation. But on the other hand, it can really quickly become, independence can drift into isolation when we believe that we can live without any outside influence. Nobody can tell us what to do. The son's entitlement had consequences. Right? He... He soon found that there's a fine line between independence and isolation. To a Jewish audience, he hit the lowest of the low. Not only did he squander everything, he squandered all of his family's wealth. But also, he chose to be a day laborer, taking care of pigs. And to a Jewish audience, taking care of pigs, you can't get any worse than that. You cannot get any worse than that. And not only was it marginal because he would have spent weeks or months at a time way out, isolated from any other person, just with pigs. But he also knew that he was isolated because he had had lost all of his father's wealth, and he felt the shame and embarrassment of that. And that kept him from returning to the father. And perhaps you grew up in the faith, perhaps... Somewhere along the road you drifted, maybe you go through the motions, but it just doesn't feel right. The teachings of Jesus and the Bible, they, they sound good and everything, but real life just doesn't seem to measure up to that. And so we try to feel something, we try to numb the pain, and we give in to destructive cravings in an attempt to, to feel something inside. But each time we do, we feel emptier and emptier inside. And maybe you feel that you realize that having those those self-centered attempts for happiness have led you farther from others. Or maybe you're here because a friend brought you here, a neighbor asked you to come, right? And maybe you felt burned by the church, and you see how some people in the church, they say one thing, they preach one thing, and then they do the exact opposite. And you wonder, why would I want to be a part of that? But for the younger son, something clicks. His eyes are opened, and he's reminded of the father's character. He realized the reality of the father's love when he felt the absence of its effects. In his current state, he had had to scrap for food, but he remembered that even his father's servants had all that they needed. They had more than enough to eat. He remembers that his father's servants had more than what he had. I'm reminded of Switchfoot, uh, one of my favorite bands. Um, they have a song called The Shadow Proves the Sunshine. So, in the son's darkest moments, he's most able to, and fu- to fully see the father's light. There's what turns his bitterness into humble repentance and what leads them to journey back to the father. So, we have a choice to make. We can either let our bitterness from an unfulfilled life, lead us into more and more bitterness, or we can humbly seek God's love that was there the whole time. So that's our first first point: that self-gratification leads to bitterness, but God always responds with steadfast love. Let's let's turn to the older brother. A lot has been made of the younger brother, but let's turn to the older brother, the the righteous one. It leads to our point: that feelings of entitlement can brew into bitterness, but God responds with patience. So upon the younger brother's arrival, what is the older brother doing? Well, he's doing what he's always done, working hard, busy at work. He believed that his work was indispensable, necessary. Most importantly, he thought of it as leverage. Not only did he thought that he was worthy of what his father gave because of his work, but he thought his brother deserved less. You know, our society operates like this. We're we're so focused on success and ability, GDP, profitability, market gains, performance. I won't get into too too much economics. I'm no expert, but we're, we're sold this idea that hard work will solve all of our problems and will give us the life that we desire. And when the older brother finds out that his wayward brother had had come home and his father decided to celebrate, the brother became angry. In fact, not only were they going to celebrate with the, just their family. No, he's, he's getting the fattened calf, right? This is a whole community, all of Bellevue, all of Burlington, right? Coming together. That, that would make some of us mad, wouldn't it? You know, we have a sibling, goes off, does whatever, that comes back. And we're going to have a party because of that? More than that, we see that the individualism in the brother's life, just as the younger brother was driven by, by pride, so was the older brother. He asked the servants about the commotion. He's like, well, maybe this party's for me. Maybe the father sees all my hard work and is uh, going to throw me a little party. A Bible, Bible scholar David Garland notes that the tax collectors and sinners... Uh, like tax collectors and sinners uh, that drew, to, drew near to Jesus, the older brother did the same to see the father's intentions. But quickly, his response was like the Pharisees and scribes when he found out the situation and he grumbled, complained. On the service level, it appears like the older brother's worthy. He's a responsible son. He didn't squander his, his family um, possessions. In fact, he added to it. The older brother probably thought that the hired hand scenario should have been more uh, more closely considered by the father. The danger, though, is to see that the, the older son had no guilt. Well, yeah, he had a little need of an attitude adjustment maybe. But, you know, at least he stayed with the father, right? And maybe some of us have the tendency that we believe that we're exceptionally good at something or our abilities, our accomplishments um, should give us a pat on, on the back. But just over the top praise and affirmation, that can skew our perception just like a lack of it can. And so even though some of us may share similarities with the older brother, may we don't see ourselves in that same way. We don't want to associate with him because we like to To make him out to be like a pharisee and we never want to be a pharisee yet sometimes we should re-examine our bias not to let off the older brother but to understand him better i I was reading an article in psychology today that points to the, the complex nature of motives and the basic argument of the article was that you know nobody discounts someone if they have Two good reasons for doing something, right? That makes sense. For example, you know, uh, it talks about this person named Tom, this imagined person named Tom, um, who finds a wallet and he returns it to its rightful rightful owner. Um, He may have two very good reasons for doing that, and we'd accept both of them, right? One, it's the right thing to do. And two, he feels empathy. He feels sorry for the person who lost their wallet and wants to return it. Both good reasons, both different reasons, even though they're related, but both valid. On the other hand, sometimes motives are complicated, right? So think of like a cancer researcher who wants to find a cure for the disease. They may have two motives. One is a noble reason, one of compassion, for patience. But the other might be a desire for fame that is associated with finding a cure. So that's just to get us thinking. Sometimes motives are complicated. And before we dish out criticism on the older brother, we may want to put ourselves in his shoes, not to let him off the hook, but to reflect on our own actions and our own motives and how they're related. How can we be like that, the older brother? How do we work from motivations that aren't as pure as we think. Maybe we're not as consistent as we would like others to believe. Like I mentioned before, notice how he never, he mentioned how he never got to celebrate, the older brother never got to celebrate with his friends. But think about, compare that to how the father was. See, the, the older brother just wanted to have a, a small celebration with his friends, but what does the father do? Have a, have a huge celebration, a huge celebration, inviting the whole community. That brings us to the, the final point that I want to make. Is that the father's love beckons us to step out of isolation into his joyful community? So each brother's bitterness stems from different temptations, and their journeys may not seem all that similar to one another, but in both circumstances, they needed to see where they're lacking. And more than that, for us, if we want to be drawn back to the Father, not only do we need to recognize our own need, we also must recognize the need to forgive others who have wronged us. Because the kingdom, God's kingdom, is not like anything on earth. There's no magic formula. There's it's It's a... It's inherited and not earned. We can't manipulate our way into attaining membership. The opposite is true. We must die to our self-centered mindset, to our self-seeking way, to getting our ducks in a row way. We don't have to clean up our life before we come to Jesus. He's the one that does that for us. We must recognize the beauty of simple grace. Professor and author Andrew Root <clears throat> says talks about the kingdom in this way, and I, I don't think I could have said it better. It's very good. The material substance of the kingdom, he says, is that Jesus brings uh, bre- that Jesus brings through his person and work. It's not made up of brick buildings and streets of gold. The substantive structure of this kingdom is not in capitals with an O and tool with an A. So not in government and not in things that we have but in relationships. God is not interested in what we can accomplish on our own, defeat our own desires or personal goals. God is not, God is interested and finds great, much greater joy in us being unified and reconciled with our brother, our sister, our neighbor, dare I say our enemy, and with him. So Jesus told this parable not to speak of the dangers of wandering from God, although that is clearly seen. What he's saying is that this is a picture of of God, the father's radical love for his prodigal children. Rather than being cherished for what they did or did not do, the father was moved to great joy because they were, because they are his family. You know, God sees the real us over and against any mass that we try to put, any type of facade, any type of deception or any lies that we believe. In the words of Brennan Manning, the author of the Ragamuffin gospel, he says, Grace calls out. Now this is gonna sound depressing at first, but hang in there, it's it's not gonna be depressing for the whole time. Grace calls out, you are not just a disillusioned old man who may die soon, a middle-aged woman stuck in a job and desperately wanting to get out, a young person feeling the fire in their belly grow cold. You may be insecure, inadequate, mistaken or pot-bellied. Death, panic, depression, and disillusionment may be near you. Whew, tired of just reading that. right? But you are not just that. You are accepted. Never confuse the perception of yourself with the mystery that you really are accepted. And I'm going to read that again because I just think it's so good. Not the whole thing. You are accepted. Never confuse the perception of yourself with the mystery that you really are accepted. So you may feel many different things about yourself, both positive and negative. You may be so self-assured of your physique, of your intelligence, of your abilities, of your accomplishments, of everything that you've done and worked hard for, and you rely on that to carry Mm -hmm. you through. Maybe you say, well, you know, I'm a good and faithful Christian. I done all these things, but secretly down you judge others. And maybe you don't think that you need as much forgiveness as somebody else does. Maybe you scoff and stick your nose up at those who don't have it as together as you do. Or maybe you're on the other end. Maybe you find yourself riddled with self-doubt, with second guesses, and worries that you can't ever measure up to others, let alone God. Maybe you believe that you're not worthy of love of the unconditional love of the Father. But the Christian way, the way of Jesus, is never thinking too highly or too lowly of ourselves. So whether we're teetering on the brink of arrogance or struggling to believe that we're worthy of any good gift, the Father is there to call us back home, to be part of the family, to be part of the joy of authentic community. We can arrive at bitterness from different circumstances, but God's pursuit of us is unrelenting. The Father's love invites us home and calls us to accept our place in His joy-filled kingdom. You know, each one of us has the choice to either wander in isolation and bitterness or to join in His joyous kingdom party. Now I know which one I want to be a part of. Won't you join? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good and holy and righteous, yet you see us, you understand us, and you love us despite all of that. You have greater plans than what we have for ourselves, and you've invited us to a joy-filled kingdom. Where we trade personal gain accomplishments arrogance for a life of service and your kingdom will uplift those who feel far removed from your love may we have eyes to see where we've missed your unfathomable grace and your tireless love forgive us losing sight of who you really made us to be and soften our hearts to forgive and invite others to that kingdom celebration that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, at this time, um, if you have a decision to make, if you want to come up and pray, if you want to join Bellevue Baptist Church, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart to join in that joyful kingdom, or maybe um, you just want someone to pray for you, I, we welcome you to come up as we stand and sing.